Let Jesus change your life. He's the only one that can. I'm so thankful to be here this morning to share God's Word with you. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to continue where we left off last week. We'll specifically be in verses 6 through 10 uh, this morning. And Lord willing, uh, we'll finish our time in the book of Galatians uh, next Sunday as we finish off uh, Galatians chapter 6 next week. Uh, We have been in a series called The Gospel of Grace, and there is no greater message than the gospel of God's amazing grace. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you didn't bring one or you may not have one, we would love to provide one for you. So if you look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in, there should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 1078, 1078. Uh, We'd also encourage you to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us uh, to you. But before we open up God's Word this morning, let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful uh, for this opportunity to be under your Word. Uh, Lord, we are fully convinced, many of us, that you are the only one who can truly change our lives. Lord, for those uh, that are joining with us online or those who may be here on campus this morning who aren't quite convinced, uh, Lord, we pray that through the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, that you would just bring about tremendous uh, confirmation that you You are the only one who can do what you say you can do. Lord, we thank you for the finished work on the cross in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the spirit of God that goes before us. Lord, we praise you in advance for all you're going to do during our time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The beauty of the nature of the gospel is it doesn't just save us from our sins, which is true. And for that, we are very, very thankful. But it also changes our lives, right? The very fact that the gospel itself transforms us from the inside out. And so the important part of the gospel isn't just the fact that we have a second chance at life, and for many of us, it's more than that, right? Many chances after chances after chances, but it actually gives you a new life, right? And that's important, that we have new life in Christ, and that's what Paul's been addressing specifically in chapters 5 and 6. The very fact that this transformed life that has been given to us by God's amazing grace, gifted us through the Holy Spirit, by grace through faith. It's that newness of life that reminds us and shows us that we have the experience of gospel freedom. Now, this gospel freedom must be daily, continuously, be led by the Spirit, right? Because the moment that we try to take the reins, the moment that we try to say that we got it or I'm good... That's at that moment we begin to surrender the gospel freedom that Christ has for us, not only in our, our lives, uh, but the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we act, all those different areas of life. It has to be guarded and led by the Holy Spirit of God. The moment that we begin to go back to the works of the flesh, we go right back to the very place that God has freed us from, right? That bondage to ourself, ultimately, is the bondage of sin. And so in Galatians chapter 6, specifically, uh, Paul begins to share with us, as he did with the churches in Galatia, what a spirit-led church looks like. If you want to know if you are in a spiritual-led body of Christ, Paul begins to unpack what that looks like. And we began to see this last week in those first five verses. Uh, One of the things that we saw last week, a spirit-led church helps restore one another, right? He says that in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so uh, we don't seek to write our brothers and sisters off, right, when they have fallen into sin, when they're caught in sin, overcome by sin. No, in humility, and it takes gospel humility to come alongside them and to gently restore them, right? And it's not, it's not one person's job. It's everyone who is a follower of Christ that is being led by the Spirit of God, right? And so you and I need to realize that this is a community effort underneath uh, the Word of God and the Spirit's leading in our life, that we seek the beauty of restoration. Man, gospel restoration is a painful thing, but it is a beautiful thing. But not only that, a spirit-led church uh, comes alongside one another and helps carry one another's burdens. We saw that in uh, verses 2 and 3. The scripture says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so the very fact that we have, we experience burdens in our own personal lives, right? Burdens would be those things in life that are too much for us to bury alone, right? And it's a reminder to us that gospel community, the way God has gifted us, is, is, it's a community of faith, that we are in this together. You are not alone in whatever it is that you're walking through right now. And, and yet, deception tells us, pride tells us, that yes, we can do it on our own. Or our, our, our need is not as great as the need next to us, so let us make sure that they get addressed and not ours. All of that is a form of pride, right? Pride is what stops us from helping one another. And pride also is what stops us from receiving help from one another. And so one of the ways that we can experience freedom within the body of Christ is how we carry one another's burdens. And then lastly, what we learned last week is a spirit-led uh, church in humility will take personal responsibility. That we have a responsibility to one another. We saw that in verses 4 and 5 where the scripture says, But leech, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So that idea of bearing your own load is that you, you, you are a soldier in God's army and you are carrying your own backpack, right? So God has uniquely gifted you in a way uh, for the body of Christ to carry uh, your responsibilities, right? And, and our boast isn't that, we're, that we think we're better than the person next to us. No, our boast is in the Lord because of what Christ is doing in us and through us. And so daily it's a reminder that we have a responsibility to the body of Christ. And Paul is going to continue this thread, this idea of what a spirit-led church looks like. And he says in verses 6 through 10, and this is where we're going to pick up in our passage this morning, it says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household. Of faith, And so in our passage this morning, we're going to see three additional uh, aspects of what it means uh, to be a spirit-led church. And the first one is this, in humility. And again, all, in order to be led by the Spirit, there is humility that is at stake, right? So in humility, we will share generously. We will share generously. So a mark of a spiritual-led church is that we will share generously. And Paul says that in verse 6. He says, uh, let the one who was taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And so this idea of, of sharing all good things with one another. And, and it goes back to what? It goes back to the Word of God. The very 
pinnacle hallmark of the body of Christ is based on the Word of God, right? So we prioritize the Word of God within our faith family. Now, we can talk about how the Scripture says that you are to, uh, to make sure you take care of your pastors, right? If they're teaching you the Word, you financially take care of them. We see places like that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We also see in other places where the Apostle Paul says, I don't want anything from you. I don't want to put a burden on you. So I'm going to basically be bivocational. I'm going to, I'm going to serve the church through teaching the Word, but I'm also going to have a job outside of that to where I can financially take care of myself. Listen, we can talk about that, but I just want to say this. On behalf of myself and all of our pastors and staff, you guys take care of us. And for that, I'm very, very thankful. But I think it's more than finances. I think it talks about the way that we do life, right? The way that we do life together. And, and the point is that it's the Word of God that teaches us how to do life together. Now, why is Paul talking about uh, the Word of God specifically here? It almost seems like between uh, verse 5 and verse 7, it's like this tangent that he says... Uh, he talks about uh, the teaching of the word and the receiving of the word. Well, think about one of the issues that was happening in the churches in Galatia. You had false teachers coming in, right? These false teachers were coming in and they were advocating for teaching a false gospel. Remember what uh, Paul had already said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are also, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So remember, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they leave uh, Antioch of Syria, and they go on that first missionary journey, uh, and it takes them up to the province of Galatia, which would have been a part of the Roman Empire there. There, they're sharing the gospel. Uh, people are saved. Lives are changed. Churches are planted. Uh, they, they backtrack back through. All good. They get back to Syria of Antioch, and then what happens in a very quick part of time. Uh, you have these false teachers coming in, and, and that is the, the dilemma that we face even today. Two great temptations we face when it comes to the Word of God, and Paul addresses that here in verses 6 and 7. One is we turn away from the gospel, right? That, that we have a temptation to change allegiance when it comes to who is our ultimate Lord in life, right? I mean, we face it. I mean, we live in one of the most prosperous lands that has ever been known. And how many of us don't think for just a moment that our allegiance to the Lord isn't as strong as we think it is, but it's to our comfort and our possessions? You challenge those things, you challenge your political views, you challenge all those things, and you will find who your true king is, right? And so we can easily turn from our allegiance to the Lord. It can be very subtle, but ultimately it can be challenged. The other thing is we can twist the gospel, right? And that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. This idea of twisting the gospel is extremely dangerous. Why? Because to twist the gospel doesn't mean you're denying the gospel, right? These false teachers were going in, and they weren't denying Jesus at all. They were just simply saying that Jesus wasn't sufficient, right? And so it has to be Jesus plus something else. That is extremely scary, because it's Jesus plus tradition, or Jesus plus the way I was raised, or Jesus, is, Jesus plus, this is just the way I am. It's the way it's going to be, right? There's all kind of ways that we can say Jesus plus something else. But at the end of the day, we realize that it is the gospel of God's amazing grace for fully fulfilled in Christ is what brings about gospel freedom and allows us to remain in that gospel freedom. And this, for the early church, is of top priority, staying true to the gospel. And it's as we are true to the gospel that we see the idea that we are sharing generously. The word share is an amazing word in the Greek. It's the word for fellowship. Think about that for just a moment. That 
this sharing generously has to do with fellowship, how we relate to one another and how we care for one another. In other words, God has given us the spiritual blessing of his word to be taught in such a way that it begins to impact the way that we bless others with the physical blessings that he gives us in our life. And this is one of the hallmarks of the early church. In Acts 2, we see an amazing picture of what the early church looked like. Verses 42 through 47, the scripture says, and they, talking about followers of Christ, they devoted, that means they prioritized continuously some things. And what is it that they prioritized continuously? Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. So that's talking about God's word. Listen, again, my prayer is that every time we teach, specifically from this pulpit, from your life group, wherever you're at, and how it impacts us in the way that we teach within our homes, goes back to what? Goes back to the word of God. Listen, you don't need my ideas I don't even need my own ideas. I need God's truth in my life. Why? Because it's living, it's active, and it penetrates the very depths of our whole hearts. There is nothing more important to healthy spiritual growth than the Word of God. And then it says they also devoted themselves uh, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. That talks about the fact that they spent time together, right? These, they spent time together, and then also it says, and they prayed. They prayed for one another. And what was the result of that? It goes on to say, and, and all came upon every soul. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to be continuously a part of a church where you're just in awe. You're just in awe of what God is doing in the midst of, of his people. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. So they're sharing generously. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, what a beautiful picture of a spirit-led church focused on the word of God sharing generously all that God has provided in a spirit-led church there is a mutual labor of love and that's what we see in the early church and my prayer is that that's what we will see continuously in the body of Christ here at Charleston Baptist Church so a spirit-led church in humility will share generously secondly a spirit-led church in humility will pursue holiness pursue holiness we see that in verses 7 and 8 uh, the scripture says do not be deceived God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul here talks about the constant danger of what? Deception. The danger of deception is, that, is what takes us off course, right? It's what causes us to wander and to be seduced. And really, that's what it is. It's a, sedu a seduction away from the truth of God, what is true, right, and holy. And all of us, every single one of us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what? We are, we are prone to wander, aren't we? We're prone, as the great hymn says, we're prone to leave the God we love. And this is the reality. We fall in deception when we think that our, our drift away from the centrality of the gospel will never be found out, right? That slow fade that we're entertaining, the works of the flesh and not uh, the desires of the spirit, will never go unnoticed. It, it's not really ultimately a big deal. Well, listen, we, just, we spent many, many uh, few months in the book of Hosea recently. And God's people were what? Faithfully unfaithful. You remember that? But God himself was the faithful husband to his bride. Right? And, and remember what God's word says in the book of Hosea when it talks about uh, this idea of sow, sowing and reaping. 
Uh, he says in Hosea 8, 7, he says, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no head, it shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. In other words, every decision that we make, all actions have consequences. Either it's a positive consequence or it's a negative consequence. And based on the passage here in Hosea 8, 7, if we are sowing in the wrong place, guess what? There's always, always, always going to be bad consequences. And the picture here was, first, they're sowing in the wind. That gentle breeze, right? Seems appealing, right? You're on the beach and it's hot outside. What do you love? You love that gentle breeze, right? Nobody's going to know. It's all good. It reminds us that sin is pleasurable for a moment, right? But what is the fruit of that reaping uh, to the flesh? You'll reap a what? A whirlwind. It's like the tornado, right? And so the scripture is teaching us we reap what we sow. That's exactly what the scripture is teaching us. And, And why is Paul so adamant? on making sure that we're sowing to the spirit and not to the flesh. Well, remember what he said in Galatians 3.3. 3. He says, are you so foolish? Again, he's talking to the body of Christ. Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Listen, our only hope for Christ's likeness in our life, in other words, our only hope for living lives of holiness doesn't happen because we're sowing to the flesh. It can only happen when we're sowing to the spirit. Why? Because the spirit and the flesh, they're at odds with one another. They're opposed. They have different agendas and ultimately different outcomes. Paul had already said that in Galatians 5, 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. And that's why Paul says in our passage today, do not be deceived. God is not what? He is not mocked. Now that's an interesting word. Uh, the word mocked in the Greek talks about one who turns up their nose at someone. In other words, in this particular context, it means to hold God in contempt, to turn your nose against God, to ultimately despise him. And remember what the context here is. The, the context of this despising or holding God in contempt or turning our nose up to him has to do with sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. The word sow means to plant, right? To plant. Now think about it like this for just a minute. As a Christian, you only have two fields that you can plant your life in, right? You can plant seeds in the spirit or you can plant seeds in the flesh. That's your only two options, right? And depending on where you're planting those seeds is what's going to be the harvest, right? And, and the idea of this uh, being deceived, God is not mocked, is this idea of that, that I'm the exception. Somehow I can keep planting seeds into the flesh, but I'll harvest what? The spirit, what the spirit wants for me. Listen, it does not work like that. We are, there is no exception to God's spiritual law of harvest, right? He has physical laws in life, but guess what? He also has spiritual laws. I started thinking about this, and, and I remember many, many times, I'll only share two, many times growing up, I had a hard, difficult concept of I'm not the only exception, right? I'm not going to be the exception. Like, for instance, super, super little. My mom was holding me next to the stove, which was her fault, but no, she's holding me next to the stove, and she's, did you realize that they used to, you used to, I think you still do it, but you boil pudding to make it, right? When she was boiling this pudding, and she could just read to the depths of my soul, Kevin, don't touch it. You're going you're to get burnt. I looked right at her, and guess what I did? I touched it, thinking I was the exception, right? You would have thought I would have learned my lesson. No, a few years go by, and I remember we were living in Nebraska at the time, and, and the, the breakfast table that we had was right next to a receptacle, uh, electric receptacle and back then bread had uh, the bread tie on, on a loaf of bread had a piece of metal going through it right 
And I remember looking right at her, my mom again, don't do it. What did I do? I stuck that bad boy right in there, and, and I felt it, right? The idea was I'm the exception to the rule. How much more in a far greater sense when it comes to spiritual things, the idea that if we are constantly sowing to the flesh and not the spirit, that somehow we're going to be the exception to the rule. You cannot sow into the works of the flesh and expect to get the harvest of the spirit. And yet we are convinced that we are the exception. I love what John Stott says. He says, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge. Now think about the works of the flesh. It's not just sexual in nature. It can include that, but there are many other things. And I love how he says this. He says, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, uh, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what we so, that is truth. And that hurts, doesn't it? That hurts deep. Every time we choose to sow to the works of the flesh, it leads to corruption. That's what Paul says. The word corruption talks about a decaying or destruction or uh, things that are rotting. And oftentimes that rot happens from the inside out, right? We don't recognize that it's actually happening. And sin always makes things fall apart. That's the point that he's making. This is one of the reasons why we have to be active in our role in doing what? crucifying the desires of the flesh. You remember that passage? We, we saw it in Galatians 2.20, how we've been crucified with Christ, right? The word crucified there is in the, in the passive voice. That means that something God is doing to you. But then when Paul talks about crucifying the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, the word crucified there is in, is in the active voice, meaning that's something that we are doing based on what God has done, right? And so what does he say in verse 24 of chapter 5? And those who belong to Christ Jesus, right? That's our new identity. We are new in Christ. Uh, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, meaning we have an active role and crucifying the flesh. And it's based on what, what Christ has already done, right? And what Christ continues to do. Think about this for just a moment. Our appetites, we have appetites, don't we? I mean, and our, every appetite that we have wants to be satisfied. Uh, think about food for just a minute. I have such a tremendous desire for food. And, and I can go to King Sushi and just tear it up. I got to get my money's worth. Right? I'm trying to figure out what is it going to take for me to make you lose money in this deal, Right? And, and it's so bad that you're leaving and you're like, oh, man, I'll never do that again, right? And then like 45 minutes later, kids are in bed, you're sitting down, football's on or whatever, and you got a family-sized bag of Doritos and a Diet Coke thinking the Diet Coke's going to miraculously change the whole situation there, right? Again, our appetites want to be satisfied. And that's not just with food, that's with anything and everything. And Paul says, keep sowing seed and the Spirit. Why? Because there you find a tremendous promise, a promise of life and freedom and the harvest of what? Holiness. Holiness. Have a greater appetite, not for the flesh, but for the desire of the Spirit. The harvest is holiness. And this is the beauty of it. God has called us to holiness 
1 Peter chapter 1, the scripture says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Isn't that what it takes? A constant preparation of how to live the life that Christ desires for us. A renewal of the mind, as Paul would say in Romans 12. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's not just thinking here and now. It's thinking where? To the things to come. My hope is in the Lord. He says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, right? Our former life, but as he who called you is holy, so this is who God is, he is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, conduct. not just a few things, but in all things, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now just think for just a moment. That last phrase in that verse, you shall be holy for I am holy. I think there are some within the body of Christ that read that last part of the verse and it leads them to a place of frustration. When, when the scripture says, you shall be holy for I am holy, you're frustrated because no matter what you do, no matter what you do, it's never enough, right? It's never enough. For sometimes it's fear. You read that verse and you're left in fear. Have I done enough? Right? And for others, it's frustration. And why is there frustration when you read that verse? Because you know the wickedness of your own heart. And you know that you've been planting seeds in the flesh and not in the spirit. And the outcome of that is sexual immorality, sins of indulgence, false worship. The way that your relationships are going aren't honoring to the Lord or honoring to the people that you're around. And so there's selfishness and pride in all kind of different places. And so you're frustrated because you know you're not living the way the Lord has called you to live. But here's the beauty of the gospel. That phrase is not meant to lead us to a place of frustration or fear or resistance. It's to remind us of God's beautiful calling in our life. Your identity is what? You are holy. That is our position in Christ. As you sit today as a brother or sister in Christ, you are positionally what? Holy. You are right with God forever. Now that flies in the face of how you feel, but it's that gospel truth that will remind you that that is who you are. As a child of God, because of the finished work of Christ, you are holy. Now it's based off that, who I am positionally, that's how I live practically, right? So now there's that practical side of holiness. And holiness is possible for every brother and sister in Christ. Why? Because that's who you are. So that's important. Secondly, God is prepared to fully supply everything you need in order to walk in a place of holiness. Second Peter says this in chapter 1. His divine power, so talking about God's divine power, and we see this, I've, re I've read this passage probably 20 times this year, but it's something that I need to be reminded of every day. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, meaning that you will participate in what God has already done, Right? having escaped the 
from the corruption that is of the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make what make every effort so there is a role that we play to supplement your faith in other words if you want spiritual growth to happen in your life the scripture says that we are to supplement your faith with virtue that is holiness and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Peter saying? Sow seeds in the Spirit. Sow seeds in the Spirit. Constantly. Every thought. Every action. Every emotion. Sow seeds in the Spirit. Why? Because the promise is there. You will reap what you sow. And then lastly, uh, the scripture says that uh, and a spirit-led church in humility will practice goodness. Will practice goodness. Paul addresses this in the last two verses there, verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Uh, Paul uses that phrase, uh, do good, uh, two different times in this particular passage. And he says that we are to, to do good to everyone, but most importantly, we are to do good uh, to the household of faith, those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, but that begs the question, what does it mean to do good, right? I remember as a parent, like constantly, every time we drop our kid off somewhere, especially in the, in the preschool, uh, CB Kids wing, We'd be good. No. Have greater aspirations for your child, right? I don't want them just to be good. I want them to be godly. I don't want them just to be godly. I want to point people to Christ, right? So what does it mean to be good, right? How do we define what Paul means by being good? Well, think about where Galatians 5 and 6 have taken us. We are called to love one another, love our neighbor as ourselves, to restore the fallen, to bear one another's burdens, to carry our own load, to give generously, to sow to the Spirit. It's probably a good start on what it means to do good. But then when we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament teaches us what it means uh, to be good. In fact, you look at uh, Micah 6, 8. Uh, the scripture says, and he, talking about the Lord, has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? And that phrase there, require of you, actually is talking about desire. So what is it that God desires for you, right? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What does it mean to do justice? It means to care for and to protect those who are the most vulnerable, right? It means that we live life not showing favoritism on what, what is it that I can get out of you, right? But, but what can I do for you, right? That's what it means to, uh, to do justice. So it's not based on race, political views. It's not based on gender. It's not based on social economic status or age or whatever. But when you think the most vulnerable in society, right, and, we see the widow, we see the orphan, we see the oppressed. That doing good, that seeking justice for them, to being their advocate, right? And it's not a political issue. It's a gospel issue. We have allowed politics to hijack what it means to seek justice for those around us, right? This is a gospel issue. Why? Because so much of what's political about justice is built on emotion and not the gospel, right? We love kindness. We love kindness. That's what... God's word says, God desires for us to love mercy and compassion, right? So it's not, not just to do kindness, but to love kindness. Man, that's a different layer of your heart, isn't it? To love mercy, to love compassion. 
So it's not just the acts that you're doing, it's why you're doing them in the first place. And to walk humbly, this means that we are to live in constant dependency on the Lord. We acknowledge God's greatness, and we depend on God's goodness every day. Where he leads, we will follow. We're called to do it to everyone. The phrase everyone means each and everyone. That's a different tone, right? Each and every person. But it also says, most importantly, we are to do it especially to the household of faith. And the thought pattern is this. If we care for God's family rightly, guess what? The overflow of that will be we will care for those that are outside of God's family, right? But here's what we need to realize. All service, all doing good is ultimately a service to the Lord, not to the person next to us. Jesus addresses this in Matthew 25. So remember uh, at the end there where uh, those who did not trust in the Lord, the goats, if you will, they went to the left. And those who did trust in the Lord, uh, those, the sheep went to the right. So he's talking about this uh, in Matthew 25. And uh, the scripture, Jesus is speaking and he says, then the, the king will say to those on his right, to those who know the Lord, right? Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit. So not earn, that's important. We're not earning salvation because of our works we're in, we're inheriting the reward for what god has done in us and through us right uh, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and then the scripture says for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me and remember what the disciple says when did we do these things to you what does he say when you did it to the least of these you've done them to me. So in other words, our service is ultimately to the Lord, right? Let that be our focus. And the scripture says, Paul says that as we have opportunity. Now, sometimes we define opportunity as when football season's over, right? I'll serve, I'll do good when football season's over. That's not what the scripture's talking about. The scripture is referring to the fact that this is your appointed time, right? God, in his amazing grace, has you planted right here, 2022, in Charleston, South Carolina, for whatever duration of time that is, here in Charleston, here at this church, here in this world, right? That is your opportunity. So there's an urgency to the opportunity. This is your season for doing good. Life is short. Leverage all things for the glory of the Lord and the work that he has called and equipped you for. Remember our great salvation and Ephesians 2 isn't just the fact that we're raised from death to life, but we are his workmanship, right? Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should do what? We should walk in them. And in the midst of doing good, Paul understands and encourages us, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. And notice weariness happens over time. It's, you don't just wake up one day and all of a sudden you're weary. There is a fade in that direction right now the question is why do we grow weary sometimes it's due to burnout discouragement loss of motivation lack of progress right you don't see the the fruit of your labor uh, the needs are too great so you're just overwhelmed with all the needs around you sometimes we get hurt right do you know that ministry hurts and so that can cause weariness but paul wants to encourage us to not grow weary it's a reminder to us that we need to learn to daily and throughout the day, learn to rest and remain in God's strength for us. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of, uh, of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He understands 
His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Every youth, uh, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. The waiting there is remaining and resting in him. They shall mount up uh, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is what I love about this passage. God loves to give strength, power, and refreshment to empty vessels. Do you feel empty today? I mean, just your family environment has softened every ounce of energy from you. God loves to fill empty vessels. Strength for every task, strength for every trial, strength for every day. And so we need to learn to serve in the strength that he supplies. We need to be dependent on him and know that the point of doing good isn't so much what you're doing, it's the source that you're tapping into. The source of everything good comes from him. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 4. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, that's the key, that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul says don't give up. Why? Because in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So don't give up today. That phrase, don't give up, in the Greek uh, really is a picture of a woman who's in labor, right? Just at the end and just expended every ounce of energy. But guess what? The baby's coming, right? In due season. So don't give up. Don't give up. Spiritual fruit takes time to produce, right? And, and as the scripture teaches us, we, we do what we plant and other waters and who ultimately makes it grow? God makes it grow in his timing. So let me encourage you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's not meaningless. So as we close this morning, as we have our time of response, where are you at this morning? When you think about sharing generously and pursuing holiness and practicing goodness, where are you at? Spirit-led church, that's what, it's, that's what it looks like. And I want to encourage you this morning. I'll start with the last one there. If you're in a place where man, every ounce of energy that you have is being sopped out and you're growing weary, the encouragement is God will give you strength. Stop doing it in your own strength, power, and understanding, right? Rely on the Lord. Secondly, are you truly pursuing holiness, right? Are you truly desiring to live a life where you are constantly planting seeds in the field of the spirit and not the field of the flesh? And then lastly, when you think about sharing generously within the body of Christ, the gospel is what motivates us to share generously. We stay central on the word of God and we fellowship with one another and we come alongside and we do intercessory prayer, all those different things. Why? Because God's work is so, so amazing in our life and the life of this church. And there is no greater relationship that you can have than that of being in the family of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So whatever your decision is today, let us stand.